Welcome back to Studio Wesley Annex, the audiovisual podcast where we break down the lectionary text of the week. I'm your host, Sam Styles Williams, and I'm here with so many lovely people. How are we doing today, guys? Sydney, how's it going? It's good. It's Valentine's Day. It is. This this podcast releaks a week a week later, but right now, in this moment, it's Valentine's Day, guys. Happy Valentine's to those on the podcast. And for those hearing it, you're probably very confused right now. <laughs> Allison, how's it going? You know, it's it's been a long day, but like it's not bad. I'm just a little like frazzled. So mm, that's kinda... that's real. Yeah. That's very Valentine's Day feeling. Valentine's Day, Ash Wednesday. There's a lot going on today. A lot so of running around. Grace, how's it going? I have not been on a podcast with you. So how are you? Yeah, it's so good to meet you, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> this is um, crazy. Yeah, I'm 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 all right. I always get that like guilty feeling when I wash my ashes off early. Mm. Um and granted, like I could have kept them on for this. I could have, but <laughs> I'm doing really good. They were glittery. So I'm in a really good mood. That's awesome. I've been seeing yeah. posts today of like, should we change it to hearts? Because it's Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday. Should we change it up a little bit? Well, with that, Grace, do you want to start us off with an opening prayer today? I would love to. Alrighty. Hello, God. I'm so thankful to be here with these folks and to just have another fun little time on the annex and also just to dive into more of your word and to get to talk about it. Um, community is really special, especially on a Valentine's day like this on a Ash Wednesday like this. It's good to be with, with people and to be with good people. So I'm thankful for that. And I pray that you just open us up to whatever happens and maybe we'll get something out of it. Um, but thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace, this is my first time being on a podcast with you. That was just the loveliest prayer. That was so centering. That was so calming. I feel like that brought down everybody's frazzled levels. And with that, we're going to start with our New Testament text. Allison, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do the Take thing. Off. Okay. First, I just want to like name that I'm the one that's supposed to be putting myself on screen and haven't done that yet. <laughs> All right, here we are. That's I didn't put myself on screen. I also am to like show the hecticness of my day. Grace started praying, and I was just like cheesing to the camera, completely not even noticing what was going on. Um, but here we are. We're gonna bring different energy as we talk about this um, verse and like focus for a second. Focus in. Um, I have Romans four thirteen through twenty five. Um, this is long. I feel like a lot of times when I do these scriptures, I get really short ones. And so sometimes when I get the long ones, it's a lot of reading over and over and over again, trying to figure out like where I want to start, what I want to dive into. Um, Because this is longer than I feel like I usually see. I'm going to pull out just like a couple of verses. I mean, overall, it's talking about Abraham and his children um, and just kind of like the promises that God made to Abraham based on the things that, you know, he was doing and his faith. Okay, so Abraham was promised that him and his children would inherit the world. Um, And it talks about kind of like how it's not like he didn't get that promise by just following the law that like a lot of it was also just his faith in God. Um, And that's like the gist of this whole verse, um, verses, section, whatever you want to call it. 
a few verses that kind of like stuck with me as I was reading it is in verse 15. It says, for the law brings God's wrath against sin, but where the law doesn't draw the line, there can be no crime. And I've that one like was the first time I like really. So I read it a few times and I didn't really notice that at first. Like I think I was reading too fast and going through it. Um, and on the very last time I read it, I was like, that's an interesting way to put that because I think um, it talks a lot about like how. God's promises aren't only for those who are keeping the law um, because, and it even says that like faith is useless if promise is canceled because there was some law that like wasn't kept or something like that. Um, and that probably was not the right phrasing of that, but, and I'm sorry if that was confusing. Um, and so I think it's interesting. Um, I don't know that line of like, just where the law doesn't draw the line, there can be no crime. And I feel like that like gives a lot of wiggle room to um, like, for example, the social work profession, we talk a lot about how like sometimes there, you know, we have the code of ethics, we have the rules we're supposed to follow, we have the things we're supposed to do and the things we cannot do. But sometimes there is like this like wiggle room or like little bins that you have to make where you're not necessarily breaking the rules, but like sometimes to get somebody the things they need, it might take more than what you are given in that moment. Um, and I feel like that verse 15 kind of gives like leeway to things like that. Um, where like, sometimes when we are following Jesus and we are doing things for people, we might have to like use that little wiggle room, um, to keep our faith, but also to help those around us. And it might not, I don't know, like breaking the law is such like a weird phrase to use. And so it's just like one of those things where I think that, I don't know, I don't really know where I'm going with this. I'm a little jumbled, but I just think that line is interesting where the law doesn't draw the line. There could be no crime. Um, and then I also pulled out verse 25 um, and it's talking about Jesus. And it says he was delivered over to death for our trespasses and race so that we might be right with God. And so I think that just kind of all ties together of this thought that like sometimes to have faith, it means that we might have to take a different path or go a different way or do something, do something different than what's done before. Um, and while that's not necessarily the law, I think it's like, you know, walking into a church, sometimes it's really hard to change the way they, they, do, they do things, even if it means it's for the better. Um, and that's just kind of where my brain went. Um, thank you for sharing, Allison. I think I um, have been struggling with the scriptures a lot to today like all the scriptures I'm, I'm just like I feel not I just feel like I'm not connecting to them this week um and so I appreciate you pointing out that that phrasing and um it kind of feels like it gives it I, I, I struggle with the idea this just this whole thing about like God's promises <laughs> I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do with that. So I, I appreciate your kind of like wrestling with it. You're kind of like fleshing out the language. What does it mean for us to be balancing faith and law and um, who are God's promises for? Um, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot here. So thank you for doing that work for us, Allison. Yeah, I, you know, I'm glad you mentioned it, Sid, because this one is also kind of getting me. Because um, I love the idea of, like, 
if the law isn't specifically talking about this, like, why do you need to add to, you know, like the law has already said, it's not a big deal. Um, and I don't want to take away from that joy. And also, depending on the laws that we have, right, sometimes the laws are taking things away that we actually don't need to have taken away. Um, and that there's so many facets of that in our like modern society. I don't need to list all of them, but it just, it's hard having both of those feelings, you know, of like, if the law, if these laws, if like the laws that Jesus has given are not commenting on this, if the laws aren't taking things away, then like, it's not a crime. And we don't need to be focusing on that. We need to focus on what Jesus said. Um, which I guess is helpful in contexts where the law does draw a line that Jesus didn't draw. Um, so it's just a weird tension to manage. Um, you know, and it's one that we're managing because we're engaging in biblical text, but it's just deep breaths, I think. Deep breaths. Okay. Interesting. I feel like we all came in with the same energy today. And I, hearing this part of the conversation makes me want to have a deeper conversation about this because I, I love the fact that in Annex, we all take something very different from these texts, depending on how we're reading it and who we are and what context we're in. Because I read that line about the law as saying the kind of the inverse, more along with like what Grace was saying, kind of the inverse of that, which is the idea of if it is not stated in the law, but it is wrong, and we can agree that it is wrong, that is not a crime. And the idea of like, th this is something that we bring up in class. And when you talk about like Socrates and the idea of justice is if you're getting away with something that is unjust, but it's not in the law, is that justice? Is that good? Um, and so it's really interesting hearing th three very different perspectives on this, because I think it's something either way, no matter how you read it, it's something you have to grapple with. And yet something you have to talk about in today's context, where laws are not made equally and are not made for the benefit of everyone. Um, but then I also like the conversation beyond the text that just came up because like, not to, not to push this conversation more or to like ask specific questions, but like, do you think that the struggle with hearing God's promise is a current thing? Or do you think that's just always the struggle of faith? Like, do any of you guys have like, cause I think in the current context we are in right now, like me and Sid had this conversation on another episode where it's it's just hard to feel faithful and it is hard to hear these promises that good things are coming and hear these promises that everything will work out. Um, and so do you guys think that, that what, this conversation, this feeling that we all have towards these texts is a based off of our current context? Or do you think that's just the struggle that these texts are supposed to bring up? I think that like... Um... And just because of like the things I do outside of Studio Wesley and in Studio Wesley, I tie a lot of things to like mental health. Um, and that's where my brain went when you asked that question of like, with everything we have going on today in today's world, um, with the decline in mental health based off of everything that's going on in today's world, um, I think there is this piece of like, we all, I think, are collectively and not, I mean, not like 
everybody, but like that there are a lot of people who are in that current state of like, it's really hard to believe in these promises when, you know, we can't even turn on the TV without seeing all of this, these bad things happening in the world where we're constantly fighting and posting on Instagram about all these things that are having to raise awareness, which on one hand, like, yes, let's do the thing. But on the other hand, like, maybe I want to open Instagram and I just want to veg for a little while. And so I think because we get with the media, we get so exposed to all of this stuff so often that I think it is like a constant, like, I think it is harder in today's society to think about that promise and to lean on into that promise. And with the moment that Grace led us in, like, what does it mean in our current context when it feels like you can't take a deep breath? And like, there's so many different ways to interpret that sentence, but like that, that's kind of, I feel like the collective, when you talk with people, that's where people are right now. There's this, there's this tension, there's this like stress that people are constantly feeling no matter what it is about. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to bring up this conversation. Grace, do you have something to add? I do. I mean, I pretty much always have something to add, but <laughs> I, it just, it makes me think a lot about my time in seminary. And like, I'm like one semester in, right? Like, it's not that much. And yet, like, it's really weird to like intellectualize a spiritual thing. Um, one, it makes it hard to feel it and to sense that anymore, um, right? And you find different ways and you find ways to engage and you find peace in not always feeling it. And that's a whole thing. Um, but it's, it's really, we had this moment or this like module in class really where we were talking about rest, you know, and like Sabbath time and relaxing. And so we had all these texts that we had to read. We had a bunch of assignments and we had to read a bunch of things and like during the rest um, and like over time, right? Like I think they wanted us to feel that so that we like care more about the rest, but it just, it's very strange and difficult to like intellectualize that. And so I think it just, it makes the like deep breath or the pause just even more, I'll say even more meaningful, but also even more important, you know? Um, I mean, even just like something like this, you know, like we're just like deciding to, well, we rotate, right? Everybody gets like their time on the annex, but like we're deciding to like engage in this and to be like in community. Um, yeah, yeah. I love where this conversation has led us. I This is an interesting episode. Um, with that, do we want to keep going? Uh, Sid, are you ready for the Old Testament? I sure am. Um, okay. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to take us on a journey today because I feel as though this week especially, I didn't feel like I don't know, maybe I didn't have the, like the capacity to do like an in-depth dive of like historical context. And whenever I'm doing Old Testament stuff, I feel like that's where I always kind of want to go. I'm like, hey, I want to try and give some something more in-depth, something more, um, I guess, like theological. But I, I just didn't, uh, I wasn't feeling that today. So I, um, 
Well, so this this scripture is literally about the same story that Allison's is about. It's about the story of um, Abraham and God's promise to Abraham that he will have a son. Then he would be the, the father to you know, you know, many great nations and kings and um, and Abraham was like a hundred and he's like. Um, huh? Like how? And he laughs and um, God's like, no, like if you just stay faithful to me, if you just do what I say, like I'm going to fulfill this for you. And God does. Um, and um, I was, you know, I, like I mentioned earlier, I think I was kind of initially kind of struggling with this text. I think probably because this text, I guess, growing up was interpreted to me as like, um, miracle. I, th I think it was often used to discuss miracles and how if you are faithful enough, um, then God will fulfill miracles and promises and, you know, that you just have to be faithful and stay committed and do what God says, even if it seems crazy. And, um, that's just not something I'm connecting with right now, at least at this point in my life. And I think that's okay. That's okay. That's, that's, I don't think we always have to connect with these interpretations of scripture that we were given. Um, so I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about it. And honestly, I think the part that was sticking out to me the most Sorry, let me pull up the text here. I got distracted. Was when in verse five, so we're we're in Genesis 17, um, and then in verse five, verse five, to symbolize your foundational role in this covenant, I hereby change your name. You will no longer go by the name Abram. Your new name will be Abraham, which means father of a great multitude of nations, because that is exactly what it will make of you. Um, that verse really stuck out to me today for, I think, a lot of reasons, but I've actually been thinking so much lately about names um, and people who change their names and why people change their names. Uh, I've been thinking about names as something that we are, are gifted. I've been thinking about names as something that is like, you know, parents give to children as like a manifestation of some particular characteristic or, um, I've just been thinking about names a lot. And so that particular verse just jumped out to me today. And I was like, what is this thing with names? Because obviously this happens multiple times throughout scripture where God will like change someone's name. Um, and when they kind of are at like a pivotal point in their like faith journey, um, or, or as like a covenant with this person. Um, and you know what, and this is where I guess it gets kind of like, I'm going to kind of get off a little bit. I couldn't help but think of about trans people. <laughs> I really couldn't, I couldn't help but think about, um, my community and about all the people I know who have changed their names for a variety of reasons and how inspiring it, it is to me and what a like important journey that is for people. 
And I honestly was feeling really inspired by this, just thinking about it and about the importance of not underestimating symbolism in our life. Um, And also not underestimating um, the little things we can do to, um, or big things we can do to give ourselves faith, um, that things are going to work out and that, that, that we can trust, um, that even when we don't see that we don't see the end goal, we don't see the path of redemption. We don't see hope. Um, we can just like, we have these symbols that we can hold on to. And I feel like that's what a lot of trans people do with their names. You know, um, when I think about transitioning as a concept, I think about um, how it saves lives. And there are so many people who, trigger warning, I'm going to talk a little bit about like suicidality, but there are so many trans people who do not want to be alive. And then they transition, they um, maybe change their pronouns, they maybe change their name. And this gives them the hope that they need to heal and to continue on. And like those symbols are powerful. And that's what I'm feeling like thinking about here is, is about the symbol that like, even though Abraham might not have seen it come to fruition yet, that it was like a, a promise that God gave to him. And um, anyways, I, my last thing I'll say is I all day I've had, um, um, it's actually a really depressing song <laughs> stuck in my head. I don't know if anyone is familiar with the Lucy Dacus song, um, Please Stay. It's a terribly sad song. And it's been stuck in my head all day. And you might be wondering, like, are you okay, Sydney? I'm fine. I'm good. I don't know why it's been stuck in my head all day. But I keep thinking about, like, the last verse of it where she's, like, talking. It, it's a song. It's She's writing to a friend who, again, trigger warning, is suicidal. And she's basically telling this friend, um do whatever you have to do to stay alive. Like she's like, change your name, change your hair, change your mind. She's like, you can break a vow. You can make a new vow. Um, you could talk to me. You can never talk to me again, but like, whatever you do, just like do what you have to do to like stay alive. And I think about this sentiment all the time because I think about religion as, as something that is helping us again, cope with the existential dread of life and of the unknown and of how hard the human experience can be. And even if, you know, we're not talking about something as extreme of, as like suicidal ideation or anything, just that in times when we are lacking hope or we um, feel as though like things aren't going to work out, things aren't going to get better, that um, God offers us these symbols, God offers us these opportunities to pivot, to change things about our life, to dye our hair, to change the way we dress, to make new friends, to um, insert anything. Um, These things can be really important symbols for people to hold on to hope. And so that was really long-winded, way more than I thought it would be, but and maybe it was such a, maybe it was so off course that it didn't even connect to the scripture at all. But that's what I'm thinking about today. I'm interested to see what you guys are thinking about.
Sid, I loved that so much. And I don't think you were off course at all. I think that was just like perfect for the course. Um, Cause that's exactly where I went. That's exactly where I went. Like when we change our names um, and specifically here, like when God changes your name and it like being a portion of like the covenant that you make with God. Um, there's a lot of things that ring out in that, that I'm so glad that I have all this like seminary stuff now to like add to it. Um, Cause it's so exciting. And so I'm so happy to get to share it with you guys. Um, but changing your name, even like while transitioning, or if you just don't like your name, if you have someone's last name that you don't want, um, or you're transitioning, and so you want to change a name so that your new name matches you. Um, I just think it's so special. And that even being a covenant to yourself, too. You know? Um, and, like, the parallels in that versus when God changes your name and it becoming this covenant, which is not only a covenant of, like, okay, like, I got you, but it's a covenant of this, like, long-term promise right? Like, it's not just Abraham's kids. It's, like, Abraham's kids' kids and then their kid, and just, like, so on for the rest of time, basically. Um, you know, and that's a long-term commitment to yourself. And, like, not just to, like, what, you know, you go through some names and you try to figure out what's the right name for you. Um, one of my friends, every time they, like, chose a new name, I was like, that's perfect for you. And then they chose a new one, and I was like, no, that one's perfect. <laughs> um, but just, like, one that promised yourself and the long-term commitment and for a good change, right? Something is new in the covenant. That's why you're making a covenant. Something is new that's not there before. And it's a good change. Um, and also whenever God like steps out, usually, um, one, it's when blood is spilled, but it's when people are hurting you know, and so seeing God step up here, um, one, not just for Sarah, but also later when we see, um, Hagar and she's suffering and then God steps up for her in a different way. And also in a similar way of blessing her offspring, which just makes sure that her name goes on for as long as it can. Um, and I think when we look at it through a queer lens as well, right? Like God is stepping up because you're hurting. Your metaphorical blood is being spilled, right? And God's not okay with that. Um, and so just thinking about all of that in context with this and the covenant is just, it like, as soon as you said it, it just like made my heart go like, so I'm glad that you brought it up. I'm going to echo a lot of the same sentiments as Grace because I love this interpretation. I think it's both right on what, like how you should be reading this, but also such a beautiful conversation to have past the text. Um, so I'm going to talk about a little bit beyond the text as well. Like I, very similar to what Grace said, the idea of the name change through the examples we see with Jesus throughout the Bible, but also in real life, especially in a queer lens, as it is the fulfillment of the promise. Because if we believe that God has the power to be there forever and has already seen this coming, then it is not a change. 
this is not this is not a new covenant necessarily this is the covenant that's been there forever and it is a fulfillment of that um and i love that interpretation and love what you said about these pivotal moments for people and thinking about it through the lens of transitioning these pivotal moments where somebody has realized who they are meant to be even if they're in a place that doesn't accept that even no matter what they have accepted that and that's such a beautiful thing and to mark that with the fulfillment of a name change i think is really really beautiful and then you also brought up the idea of the pro like promise in the same way as hope and God's promises kind of in the same vein as hope. And it immediately made me think I, I looked it up because I knew I was not going to remember it because I don't remember poetry. Um, but Emily Dickinson has a poem um, that's just titled Hope. And the first line is something I have mostly memorized. Um, and it says, hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And the reason I love that and the reason I bring it up into this conversation of God's promises and about hope is because it's exactly what we just said. When we struggle to hear God's promises and to believe that it's going to be fulfilled, it's the tune without the words, but it's always there. And like, we're not seeing it every day. You're not feeling it. You may not every morning wake up and feel this promise that you are fulfilling and that is being fulfilled around you. But it's the tune without the words that never stops at all. It has been there the whole time. It has been with you. And like, that's such a powerful thing to think about, especially in those moments of doubts, especially in those moments where you feel like you need to hear the words, knowing that it is there and knowing that it is going to be fulfilled, that this covenant is with you and through you. Um, I think is a really, really powerful thing. So thank you for that conversation. Yeah. Um, kind of, I mean, I just want to uplift up words. <laughs> yeah. I just want to uplift what Sam and Grace have said already. Cause I don't, I mean, I have similar thoughts, but I think I'll leave that there with them. Um, but I do want to add that at one point you were talking about like along those same lines of like hope is like, no, like having those small things to help us, you know, remain hopeful um, in times where hope is hard to find. And that's something that I like live by. I say it all the time to people. They're like, why, why are these, why do these little things make you so happy? And I'm like, cause sometimes it's all we have are those little things. Sometimes those are what's keeping us from having like a full blown breakdown. Like if I'm having a bad day, if I'm overstimulated, if I want to cry and it rains, I suddenly feel better. Like, it's just like that one thing that like helps. Um, and I think it's really beautiful to connect that to the Bible and the way that you did. Um, because I had never really thought to make that connection before, um, especially when you're connecting it to the Bible and the trans experience and the LGBTQ experience and all of the above, um, because of how often the Bible is used to harm. I think finding those moments of those little things that bring us hope is beautiful. And that's really all I want to add. With that, we are going to transition to our break, but I just want to say before we go to break, uh, thank you guys for the conversation already, and I, I love I love where we're at right now. So, audience, go enjoy your break. Go listen to these, and we'll be back in a little bit. Bye, guys.
Welcome back, everyone. I hope you guys enjoyed your break. We were talking about hair colors and um, how tall everybody is, because most of us have not seen each other's true height. So we might put out a poll of who do you think is the actual tallest in Studio Wesley. The answer may surprise you. Grace, are you ready to take it away with a psalm? I am so ready. But actually, a poem that I would like to bring to our attention first that I looked up during our break is the response to the Emily Dickinson Hope poem called Hope is Not a Bird, Emily, It's a Sewer Rat. <laughs> um, I, well, one of the chaplains that I know, she was um, preaching about this, but I mean, it's the same thing in the end. It's kind of like a cooler way, but it's just like, hope is not some delicate, beautiful bird, Emily. It's a lowly little sewer rat that's, okay. No. We cannot read that out here. But anyways, hope is just this, like, really, like, thing that it will not give up. Like, there is always going to be a sewer rat around. Like, you, there will always be a sewer rat somewhere. Um, and hope will not give up. So that was the point of the poem. <laughs> that, that was brilliant. I've never laughed that hard on this podcast <laughs> with my mic on. That was really good. <laughs> it It's a good poem that everybody should read on their own time and not credit me as asking you to read it but in other poems news um I am so glad that I got the psalm text I just I love the psalms I'm hoping to take like an entire psalm course because it's just phenomenal um and psalm 22 it's funny how God like throws all these little things at you over and over again it's really not funny actually it's kind of frustrating but we're working on it um Psalm 22, I had to write a final exam on <laughs> um, a portion of Psalm 22. And I'm just so happy to talk about it here because it is one of the lament psalms. And we don't we don't see as many lament psalms or we don't focus on as many lament psalms. But like you get a fuller understanding of it when you look at all of them. So I'm glad that we're looking at this one. Um and kind of interesting during like the start of Lent as well, you know, cause like you've had um, at this point, like we've had a week to like figure out how frustrating it is when we have to either do more or do less. Um, and I love the end of this too, having the little like turnaround because in Psalms, right, there's, they usually have this structure as most poems do or songs do. Um, and so it's just really fun to see here where like, the author is so frustrated. Um, and it's, it's, it's relevant, you know, like there are so many times in my life, even at Psalm 22, one, which is not our text is saying like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like that is a on the daily. Um, and I feel like it's a good use of that. You know, um, our professor always says, if you're saying, oh my God, like you need to just finish off the prayer, you know, oh my God, this is so frustrating. Can you help with this? Um, and so Psalm 22 is beautiful. And the end of this text is just so special because um, we are looking at 23 through 31, which is like the very end. Um, and it's where we see the turnaround of the Psalm. So like, as you go through, usually you'll like address God and then you'll complain and then you'll, <laughs> it's a confession of trust is the like official phrase, but like you accept the fact that you still trust God. <laughs> um, right? And that's everybody's personal journey. Um, but you accept that. And then you have the assurance you're like, okay. And like, I know, I know it'll be like, I know it'll work out. Um, 
and you do that after you petition for what you want. Um, so it's just really fun. But here I love, um, just the turnaround of still acknowledging all of the beauty that we have with God. Um, especially I'll do 30 and 31 is just like the most special thing that posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn saying that he has done it. Um, and even 26, the poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. And just all of this, like, hope, really, but all of this, like, excitement in the middle of acknowledging how awful things are is just really beautiful um, and frustrating and great when it happens. And, ugh. Um, but all of this back and forth, I think, is just a really special thing to have, especially right now during Lent. Um, I always give something up. I always give up soda, but I've already given up soda for like general life. I, I drink less soda, so it doesn't matter as much anymore. So I'm trying to add a devotional every day. And I know that Grace seeing this next week is going to be like, well, you haven't read it. Um, which is very true and very human. But we see that in Psalm 22. And so it's just very real. And that's what I love. Um, and still the acknowledgement that God is going to be there. Even if it's like, you know, I really don't feel like it, God. Um, I don't feel like it. And I know eventually, way, way down in the distance, I know eventually it'll be fine. But we're in the middle of it right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. I really love what you said about like keeping the hope like we've been talking about in the hard moments. Um, this, this is, we had a similar conversation about this. I, I feel like this was on a cafe episode actually with, it might've just been with me and Sid about like how that's, that's part of like making change is like centering yourself and hope and joy because you need to have some center when you're going through the hard parts. Cause it's not always going to feel like the happy promises are being served that period of time. Um, and so I just, I love how you broke down the Psalm and how this is, feels like the theme throughout all of these is the waiting and how to stay strong during that waiting and how to stick with the promises, even when they don't feel like they're coming to fruition. So yeah, I just love all that you said. Yeah. I don't know that I have much more to add. Um, it's, I just, it's interesting how excited you are for the Psalm. Cause I do not like it when I get the Psalm text, I don't know why, but I just am not a Psalm person. And so I want to say that. And then I want to say that you made me kind of want to go back and read this one just by how you were talking about it. So like, usually I'm like, Oh, the Psalm, but for, for some reason you, you piqued my interest, especially when you make those connections to like, you know, we are only human and like, you know, God obviously knows that. And so I love that connection you threw into this with that Psalm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll say I've never seen somebody get that excited about the psalm. And I immediately was like, wow, we should bring on Grace more. Because <laughs> oh, oh, the psalm always stresses me. No, I used to I used to not be a psalm girly. I'm actually a song of songs girly. So talk <laughs> to me about it a different time. No, yeah, no, it's hilarious because I laughed when I realized it. But Allison and Sam and Sid, you know, make it a whole party. Talk to me about any psalms, especially Psalm 22. I'll leave you and the viewers with this, like, let me teach you um, 
it's connected to the crucifixion. This psalm is connected to the crucifixion. So a later time, this is what's going to hold you in. And you're going to come back and we're going to learn together. Yeah. Um, I always want to learn from you, Grace. I'm so glad you're my roommate. You know what I mean? Um, all I was, all I was going to add was I love, no. Okay. I don't love it, but I think that lamenting is so important. It's so important. And I think we need to do it more. I think, um, that especially in the age of like us frying our brains on the internet and, um, becoming like completely dissociated, dissociated from like the atrocities happening in the world and everything we see online and just completely desensitized to life itself. Um, we have to like relearn how to lament and like how to like grieve out loud. Um, it's like, we know how to do it for like a second. And then we're like, okay, I'm uncomfy now, like moving on. Um, you know, yeah, I, I'm learning a lot about that right now. I'm learning a lot about that right now and about what it means to just like be in a stage of grief. And that doesn't mean you can't have hope, but what does it mean for us to really grieve out loud, actually hold space for each other's like pain and turmoil and to not become desensitized to injustice? Um, yeah, just like to just like let ourselves feel, you know, like it's so important. It's so important. I love how you phrase that, that it's such a real feeling. That's something I talked about last semester a lot um, in my therapy was talking about like, okay, there's uncomfy thoughts now, swipe, move away from it. Um, and how to like sit in that and how to sit in silence, especially and how to sit with feelings. Um, but with that, we're going to switch over to my text. We're going to switch over to Mark. Um, and guys, okay, Mark's a lot. We know this. When you're going through Lent and you're going through Mark, it's a lot. And so I have lots of things to talk about, so I'm going to kind of fly through it. Because, so I'm Mark 8, 31 uh, through 38. And this is the first of three times throughout the Mark Lenten text where Jesus says, hey, disciples, I'm going to die. Here's how. And because it's the first text, I think it's the most interesting. Because I, before I like did this episode, I read through all three. And I think this one's my favorite because of just how out of nowhere it is. Because you have to understand, we all, as modern day Christians, have an understanding of like, this is what happens. Jesus is born and then he goes through this and this is his ministry and then he dies. But to be in that moment, to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples is a crazy experience to have this leader who you have seen do miracle after miracle and who you think is going to completely change the world and bring down all of the powers that be and make an equal world says, I'm going to be massacred and I'm going to be given over and you guys are going to have to see that. And this one, he's not only declaring that he is going to do that, he's also saying that you should do it too. Because Peter, Peter rebukes him and the Bible doesn't actually say what, how, said when he rebukes him. Um, I read some commentaries that were talking about him saying that, no, that's not what the prophecy says. I really like the idea that Peter is just really freaked out and is like, whoa, Jesus, you're, uh, you're being a little much here. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? But Jesus immediately takes down Peter's idea and calls him, just straight up calls him Satan and says, no, get behind me, Satan. 
and talks about how you're thinking about all this too much as a human. And this is such a otherworldly concept. This is so above that. And that's when he brings up the idea of the cross and brings up the idea of us as Christians, we should follow. And that means taking up our own cross, putting down what we believe as humans, putting down whatever you think you're, you are being held back by in sin and taking up the cross. And he brings up the idea of death through that, not just through the cross, but the idea of being okay with dying. Because he says, the exact quote is, those who want to save their life will lose it, but those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. And talking about giving up your life and giving your whole life to gospel and to the work of Christ. Now, I have two things to like specifically share with you guys and see what your comments are. My first one is, I like this text. If we're looking at losing your life, in a bigger, broader sense than just dying. Because I think looking at it as black and white, I give my life to Jesus, means that, I feel like it takes away so much of the emphasis of what it means to give your life while you are living. Does that? I know that's a weird way to phrase it, but like the idea of I'm going to die for Jesus negates what you're going to do in life by giving your life to the gospel and giving your life to Jesus. So that's my first thing. And then I also want to talk about the idea of picking up your cross because I read the first commentary and was like, yep, it says picking up your cross. That's something that like every Christian since they were children has heard if you grow up in the church. Um, And then I was like, well, it doesn't really dive into that. So then I read another commentary that also same thing just says that Christians will bear up their cross or will pick up their cross. And it started making me wonder how much we take that idea for granted. Because the thing is like in this context, the cross is a sign of death. Like it is not a sign of Jesus yet. It is not a sign of hope or redemption or coming back to life. It is a form of murder. It is a form of public execution. And so the idea of like, what does it mean in a modern context to bring up your cross? Um, I started looking for commentary specifically that were talking about that line. Um, And some of them talking about it's getting rid of human ego. Some of it were saying any inconvenience is taking up your cross. Some said it has to involve some kind of human suffering. It has to involve you suffering to gain something new. Um, So I just wanted to leave with that question. What do you think this text means? What do you think it means in your specific context in your life to take up a cross? What does it mean to lose your life for the sake of the word and the gospel? I'm trying to remember the phrase you just used. Um, Gosh, I think you just said, I'm... Oh no, it was something about dying for Jesus. What did you say? To die for Jesus negates what you do in life for Jesus. That yes. one. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um I I think that sometimes, like, you know, verses like these where we pull things out like that. I think that sometimes it's these instances, um, and there's no better way, way, way to say this, in which like we look crazy as Christians when we say things like that. Like, I think these are the verses in which people hear them and are like cult or like, what are you guys doing? Like, I think that's like where people get the, I'm going to use this phrase, but like get the ick with Christianity. Um, Especially when it's like, when they don't understand that it's so much more than that, like without context, without understanding, without like truly knowing these things, like, that I just feel like this verse is, and I have a hard time like really connecting with this verse, I think because of it, because I heard it and was like, mm, this is one of the ones that makes us look bad. Like, that's just how I feel when I read this verse. Um, 
And so then you saying that statement, I was like, yeah, that's it. That's exactly how I'm feeling right now is that like this verse is giving me a little bit of an egg just because I think that like it is the one that's taken out of context where like you, you say things like this and people are like, can we circle back to what you, what you just said? Um, but there really is so much more. And it's talking about, you know, the things we do, how we follow our faith. What are we doing for our faith? What are we doing for those around us? How we are devoting <laughs> ourselves. Um, and so I think it's just like a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I think you're so right. Like, I don't know what I'm trying to kind of give myself some like, I think, okay. So sorry, gathering my thoughts. I think in uh, white evangelicalism, which is like, I think probably the most prominent theological power structure of the United States. There's um, one of its like defining factors is it's strict, like, um, social and moral like boundaries between like us and them, the Christians and the seculars and you know, whatever. Um, and I think because of that, there's like this fantasy of like being persecuted. Um, even though that's not our historical context anymore. Right. Um, obviously white evangelicalism is like an incredibly powerful um, political movement in the United States. You're not going to be a martyr here. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and so I think that, yeah, when, the, when scriptures like this are taken into like, Oh, I'm just going to die for Jesus. Like they're going to come for me. Um, they're going to, and then they're going to try and, um, I don't know, put a chip in my forehead. I'm sorry. I'm getting, I mean, I mean, too condescending, but, um, to me, it just feels, it feels like a fantasy that is not rooted at all in like our current society. Um, but what I do think is, is this idea of like hyper individualism and how people don't like being inconvenienced by other people existing at all. And I think about this a lot. And I think about how like we've completely lost, I think the sense of like what it means to sacrifice for people and to sacrifice our lives for like a greater cause, because we're all like so obsessed and socialized to think that like we should only be protecting our own life. I think about that a lot. And I think that to me, that's like what, like you were saying, Sam, and what, what like it's like really about is like, what does it mean for us to sacrifice our lives while we're living for something greater than ourselves? Um, that can mean so many things. <laughs> There's so many ways that we can sacrifice for one another. Um, whether that's mutual aid, whether that's, you know what I mean? Like feeding your friends, whether that's picking a career that you know, you feel like is going to make a difference, whether that's, um, whatever, you know what I'm saying? You could insert anything. There's so many ways, but I, I do think that there needs to be like a radical pivot in the way that we are seeing ourselves as individuals in our society, because, um, yeah, people just don't want to be inconvenienced and that's wild. Cause we need each other, you know, like we have to inconvenience each other. 
else are we gonna like do this you know I don't know no you're so right you're so right it, on so many levels in so many ways and I'm glad that you said what you said because it relates to what stuck out for me um, okay I'm gonna get really serious for a minute very serious um content warnings massacre um something so we're recording on valentine's day like we said um and that means it's february 14th it also happens to be ash wednesday um but also that means it is the anniversary of the stoneman douglas shooting um and there's always a moment during the day when I remember it and I'm like, oh, oh my God. And ironically that tying back the, oh my God, to Psalm 22, like what, what is wrong here? Can you fix it? Um, and it makes me think about people now who are being massacred. Um, yeah, it makes me think about that. And Sam, what you said about like, one, the emphasis on life and death um, and dying for Jesus negates what we do in our lives for Jesus. Um, and I think a big focus when we're discussing big moments like this um, and big moments is such an understatement, but when we're discussing things like this, a big focus, especially when it's children, is like they didn't even get a chance to fill in the blank, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that, I mean, even that statement is focused on the life, um, you know, and so thinking about this and what are you doing with your life for Jesus, you know? Um, and said, so, like you said, like this, like almost fantasy of like, oh my God, I'm going to be persecuted for being a Christian. Um, there is so much we could be doing in our lives. And I hope this doesn't come off from like a shame way or from a guilt way because it's not supposed to be that, but there are just so many things that we can be doing in our lives. Um, and, Sid, you mentioned just being there for each other. Um, and it made me think about care ethics. Um, I think like Virginia Held is one of, is one of the folks who is big in, in that. Um, but just like we, we need each other. Communal living is, in my opinion, such a better way of living and relying on each other. And it means you do have to rely on each other, you know, and that puts a lot of your guard down. That leaves you susceptible. That leaves you vulnerable. And it's okay because your whole community has your back. You know, like I, I know that I can't do this thing, but that's okay because my neighbor can do this thing and my neighbor can't do that thing, but you know, I got it. It's okay. Um, so I know that got very, very serious for a moment, but I think it, it just made me think about the gravity of our lives. 
Um, and it's hard to do the best thing every single day. It is. It's impossible. We're human. And there are just... Seeing how all of these texts connecting and making a covenant with God and with ourselves and seeing like how we balance justice and how we truly feel God's promise. Um, I'm going to be thinking a lot about what I'm actually doing with my life, like in a good contemplative reflective way, but our lives have a lot of potential. Yeah. Sid, with that, do you want to take us into a closing prayer to center out this evening? Yeah, let's do it. God, um, today felt especially vulnerable, and I feel like we got into some very serious topics together. Um, so thank you for this space to be a safe space for us to share our thoughts. Um share the things that come up with these scriptures um, and um, to be able to encourage each other and offer hope to each other um, when maybe, you know, maybe it's not at the forefront of our minds, but we can help support each other. And that's, to me, that's, that's everything. Um, I pray that um, we would um, take what we have discussed, take what we have learned from one another. We would honor it and we would continue to love each other and the world as best as we can, um, that we would continue to sacrifice and learn what sacrifice means from you and your life, Jesus. And um, yes, uh, we're just, we're just grateful and we love you in your precious name. Amen. Although that was our closing prayer, before we go, before I send you guys off, I wanted to end with one other thing, because this, like Sid just uplifted, this was a very serious episode, and this was an episode of vulnerability where we talked about a lot of hard things, and I want to say for anybody listening that this was a hard episode, but that's kind of the through line of what we're talking about right now. This is the continuation. This is the moments where the promise doesn't feel tangible, and that's something that I think we need to talk about. And so if this episode made you feel vulnerable and made and brought up some hard topics, I think that it's an important time of reflection to think about what the promise is and to think about how it's still to come. Because I think that's kind of what this Lenten journey is about, is realizing what we need to give up and realizing the how to sit in some of those uncomfortable spaces mm -hmm. because the promise is about to be fulfilled. And even though it doesn't feel like it right now, it is the song without words that never ceases at all. So with that, I want to thank you guys for joining us. I want to thank you guys for listening. Bye, guys. <laughs>